book of Jude, we were we ended last time on verse number nine, and we want to read that tonight because uh, if we don't read that, we won't understand, won't pick up what is being said in verse number ten. So let's go back and read. He says, "But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you.'" And we talked about that last. Week, and so we're not going to spend a lot of time dealing with it. Uh, what we closed out with last time was the idea that these men were willing to say things that even um, one of the angels of God wouldn't say about the devil. And so you can see the uh, see how how strong a rebuke it is that Jude is giving them. But remember the idea that there, there is uh, blasphemy that's going on. There, there's the idea of speaking against, and that's what really the idea behind the word that's used here is to speak against. Uh, they, that, that's what is behind it. And so keep that in mind, and let's look at verse number 10 and read it together. Larry, I'm not clicking there, so there we go. But these people, these people being the ones who are the false teachers, the ones who are causing the trouble that Jude is writing about, but these people blaspheme, but what do they blaspheme? He says they blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they're destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Now there are two things that he talks about uh, that, that are uh, key to an understanding, some that they don't understand, things that they don't understand, and some things that they do. And so let's look at that. Let's think about it for just a second. These men blasphemed the glorious ones that we read about in verse number 8, I guess it was. They blasphemed them, but they're also blaspheming uh, the teaching, the doctrine, the things that, that the church was to do and the church was to be. Uh, Paul, or rather Jude simply says that there are things that they do not understand. Now, I think the idea is that it's not that they couldn't understand, but they chose not to understand. Uh, the idea being that, that these people just couldn't get a grasp or wouldn't get a grasp on, on the teaching. And, and I think, you know, one of the best ways to illustrate that is sometimes what people say in regard to things like baptism or something uh, sometimes that people say about uh, uh, the Lord's church and, and the people in the Lord's church who refuse to use mechanical instruments of music in the uh, worship of God. Uh, they'll talk about how that, uh, that, that baptism won't save you, doesn't save you because they've been deluded by doctrine such as uh, being saved by faith only or being saved by grace only. And so they say bad things about it, uh, about baptism, and yet it very clearly is taught in the New Testament, isn't it? First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 21, uh, the like figure whereunto even baptism does also now do what? Save us, okay? And so even though the Bible explicitly states that, some people will say, well, I, I just don't believe it. Well, these men evidently were saying bad things, uh, uh, trying to refute things, things that they didn't understand. And, and so uh, it must have been bad because they didn't understand it. And you know, that's, that's pretty, pretty still true today, isn't it? If there's something that we don't 
really grasp something that we don't understand. It's got to be bad because it's not something that I learned when I was growing up. It's not something that, that I was taught. You know, technology. Sometimes we look at technology and, and, and say, you know, some people say, I just, I, I can't handle, handle those computers and those kinds of things like that. And it's got to be bad because, because I didn't have one when I was growing up. Well, that is true. Um, and yet they're not necessarily all that bad. Sometimes when you learn to use them, they are a tremendous, tremendous help. It's sort of like a pencil. You know, at one time, a pencil was the latest technology. Did you, did you realize that? At one time, a pencil was the latest technology in writing instruments. <laughs> uh, sure did beat, uh, you know, having to, uh, to, to do it the hard way, right, with the ink and uh, so forth that you put in a quill and, you know, you could just keep on going, keep on going. We look at things and we don't understand it. And so it must be bad. Now, I think these people had a different motive, had a, had a worse motive, but they spoke against things that they didn't understand. Okay? Now, let's keep looking at, looking at the verse. These people blaspheme all that they do not understand. And then he says they're destroyed. Now, I'll come back to that word destroyed, and we'll talk about it more in just a minute. They're destroyed by all they that like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Now, now, what is the difference between the things that they don't understand and the things that they understand, as the English Standard Version translates it, that they understand instinctively? What's the difference in those things? If you had to explain it, what is it that, uh, that you would say about it? Not any homosexual animals. Okay, there's no homosexual animals, okay? What does the word instinctively mean? Instinctively. Do you, do you hear that word? Knowledge without being taught. Okay, knowledge without being taught. Uh, are animals instinctive? Do they do, do they do certain things at certain times and, and, and that's just... I mean, they've never had school about it, okay? The birds fly south at a certain time and go back north at a certain time. That's their instincts to do that. And so what, what Jude is writing about here is the things that they're doing, the instincts that they have, that, that these people have. The, uh, the word is sort of, sort of related to the word physical, okay? But, but the physical things that, that they knew, the physical things that... That, that what we might say sometimes come natural. That's what they were basing their life on. That's what they were basing their teaching on. That's what they were trying to base their salvation on. The things that, that just comes naturally to them. And, and, and so when we, when we look at the instinctive things that sometimes people uh, deal with, what, what is the problem with that? Let's just keep our mind here on what these men were doing. What kinds of things were they trying to bring into the Lord's church? Things that possibly they had known from the pagan world. What kinds of things? Sexual things. Bring those into the Lord's church. Bring that into the worship. And so those lower instincts, those lower parts of man, if you will, 
uh, is the kinds of things that, that they were uh, trying to, uh, uh, to, to make a part of the Lord's church. Now, <clears throat> let's see if we can apply that, maybe in a lesser form, if you will, to the way that we think about it. Why? Uh, let me ask, ask it this way. Why do people want to use things like, I mentioned this a while ago, instrument, mechanical instruments of music? Why do we want to, not us, but why do people want to use those in a worship service to God? Why do they want to use them? And I think when we understand that, then we'll understand a little bit about what Jude is writing here. Why? What, what's, the, what's the reasoning that is given as to why there, people want to use those? To enhance it. To enhance it. What do, you, what do you mean by that? To make it better. Make it... Better. Make it... Sound better. Make it sound better. I like it. I like it. It sounds better when we have, when we have a little bass drum going, you know, and a, a little bass guitar going and, and all of these things. It just sounds better. Now, wait a minute. Did you, did you catch what you just got through saying? It sounds better. What are we trying to please? Ourselves. Trying to please our own ears, our own instinctive thinking about what sounds good. We, we're not worried, or folks who try to add, not worried about what God thinks about how it sounds. It sounds good to our ears. And so we may think, well, that's not as bad as what they were trying to do back in the day of Jude, you know, with some of the things we've already seen in, in the book of Jude. But in reality, is it much different? Does God view it any different? Because we're still using the same standard, aren't we? Or, or the people who want to bring it in are using the same standard themselves rather than God and his words. And so that's what they do. But what happens when they, when they do that? What do they become like? Uh, I said we're going back to that word destroyed in a minute. But what are these people who do that, what do they become like, according to, to what Jude says? They're like unreasoning animals. Okay? Unreasoning animals. The word that's translated unreasoning is a logos. A logos. Anytime you put the, the, the word or the letter A in front of another word, uh, the effect is that it, it means not. Sort of like we put you in, un, or something like that. Uh, but it means, it, it, it negates it. That's what it, what it does. The word logos, you may have heard before. Anybody heard the word logos before? The word logos literally means word, word. In the beginning was the logos, the word. And the word was with God and the logos word was God. But this word is a logos, which means no words are without words, literally irrational. 
He talks about the unreasoning, the irrational animals. He said, when you do what you're doing, you're like a no-word animal. An animal without words, can't speak, can't, can't talk, can't think, doesn't think, not able to. And that's what these people are doing. They're adding these things and uh, they really have no words. They're like the animal that, that really hasn't thought the words through or has become incapable or unwilling to think the words through. Now what words? God's words. They, they choose not to think God's word through. The only thing they understand is their own impulses. They're like animals. And so the reason I'm belaboring that point is because Jude, the brother of our Lord, think about now if, if, if Jude had wrote that about you. I mean, that's almost fighting words, isn't it? But also I want you to think about how far we've come today we can't say anything bad about anybody. Or, or, or we, we probably shouldn't say a name. Who told you to write that? Did you just come up with that on his own? Who told you to write it? The Holy... Go ahead. I thought you said, who told you? No, Jude. J-U-D-E. <laughs> who told Jude to write what he wrote in verse 10? That came from God. And so, in reality, it's God saying, you're acting like an animal, not like my creation, not like a person made in my image. And so, pretty strong, pretty strong words for what he says there. And we see that, that idea of how strong it is because what happens when they're acting in this way? When they speak against the things that they don't understand and they do the things that, that, that merely come by their instincts, by their own uh, thoughts and desires, what really is happening when they're, when they're using these things as their standard and as their goal. They are being what? That's the one I said was coming back to. They're being destroyed by all of that, he says. Look, he said, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Well, what does the word destroyed mean? Well, the word destroyed here is a word which means ruined, corrupted, or destroyed. And so they're ruined, they're corrupted, or destroyed. Now I want you to, I want you to look at a, another passage where this word is used. Another passage where the word is used. Go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Okay? When you get there, somebody read that out loud for us. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. 
Alright? What's a word there? Which word is the same word that we have here in Jude verse 10? Evil communications corrupt good manners. Have you ever heard that verse taught? Back the old day, old timey preachers when I was when I was young and, and coming up, uh, wh- what did they talk about? Choosing your friends wisely because they can they can talk you into things you don't want to be talked into. Evil communications, evil companions, depending upon which translation you're reading from, they corrupt. English Standard Version puts it this way: Be not deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Bad company ruins. Well, what is ruining, what is corrupting these people that Jude is writing about? What is corrupting them? What they say without knowledge, except for their own human desires, their own human thoughts, their own human instincts. That is what is corrupting them. That is what is ruining them. That is what is destroying them. You see, we have to put aside the physical part of man and consider the spiritual part because what's going to live forever? Somewhere, one place or the other, the spiritual part of man. And so Jude says, but these people, they they talk bad about, they blaspheme, they, the things they don't understand, and, and the things that they, that they do by nature, by, by instinctively, these things that they're doing, it is ruining them, ruining them in their spiritual sense. There, there, there's a lot of different places we could go with that. You know, it's not just... Not just doctrines that are taught in the church, but it's the very lives that we live. Uh, the very things that we choose as, as men and women to do or not do. And so we need to pay close attention then to what Jude says here. Yes, he has a purpose in writing to the church, but uh, each one in, individual has an application to himself as well. All right, look at verse number 11. He says, woe to them. Them, meaning the ones that he's just gotten through talking about in verse 10, the teachers, the false uh, brethren that are uh, mentioned throughout the book of Jude. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Now, remember that he has just prior to this, given us three illustrations from the Old Testament. Talked about the children of Israel and, uh, you know, their unbelief. He talked about the angels and their sin. And then talked about Sodom, Gomorrah, and the cities that surrounded them. He used them as an illustration. And, And now he comes back and he's got three more Old Testament illustrations. Within the a span of just a few short verses... That's going to be six things from the Old Testament that Jude is going to write about, mention. Uh, and every one of them that, that Jude writes about is used to convince, you know, or 
tried to convince these people uh, to turn away from their sinfulness. Now, I've asked this, I think, the last two weeks in a row, at least. But why was the Old Testament written? Written for our learning. Written for our learning. Well, Jude is uh, one of the better illustrations of what, it, what the Old Testament is to be for us because he said, look back, look back, look back, look back, look back, look back, six times. He says, look back. Look back so that you'll know how God deals with all of this. All right, so let's quickly tonight look at these three examples found in this one verse. What does he mean they walked in the way of Cain? What, what is it that these, that, that, that these people that he's talking about here in the book of Jude, what is it that reminds Jude through inspiration of Cain? What is it that, that reminds them, God, of Cain and what Cain was doing? Not, just, not necessarily <clears throat> that they do the same specific act as Cain, but what is it about Cain that, that, that were taught in the Old Testament? What did Cain do? Not following God specifically. All right, I got, I got three or four coming in at one time. I said the way that he worshipped. The way that he worshipped. And, and you said the... Not following. Not following, not following God. I think, I think uh, you know, when you, when you go through and you, you, you look at Cain, we think about, well, Cain killed Abel. Well, he had a problem before he slew Abel, Abel he, before he killed his brother. His problem was... He didn't listen to what God said. He didn't listen to what God said about worship. Look at uh, in the New Testament where the writer of the book of Hebrews writes about Cain and, and see, what, see what application is made from the story of Cain. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 at verse 4. Hebrews chapter 11 at verse 4. All right, I said, look and see what it said about Cain. You say, well, that's talking about Abel. Yeah, it is. But it also talks about Cain. What did Abel do? He worshiped by, offered a sacrifice by faith. But Cain didn't offer his by faith. He's unlike Abel in that he didn't offer his by faith. Where do we get that he's not listening to God? Where does faith arise? Where does it come from? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse number 17. Faith comes from hearing. Cain refused to listen to the way God wanted it done. That's what these people were doing. That's what people still do today. They refuse to listen to the way God wants to be worshipped. And that goes all the way back to the third, actually the first person to be born. Adam and Eve were created. Cain was the first son that was born to Adam and Eve. And so he's the third person on the earth. And he quits listening to what God said. Now, of course, Adam and Eve had already sinned, had already been driven from the garden. But Cain refuses to listen 
to God. And as a result of that, his worship is corrupted. Okay? Second one that he mentions here is not only Cain, but Balaam. And what is Balaam's problem? Well, Jude says that they abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. What was Balaam's error? Who was Balaam? Let me ask that first, and then we'll go from there. Everybody, everybody knows Balaam as who? The man with a talking donkey. The man with a talking donkey. And why, why are you hitting me, the donkey said, after the donkey had crushed his leg up against the wall and Balaam had bashed him with a, with a stick. Why are you hitting me? And you, you think about that, and that's, that's, you know, almost comes from Hollywood, but uh, Balaam had never seen a movie. And so he didn't, he, he didn't know the difference. Uh, he just know, knew that something from God was taking place. And so, uh, but, but what was his problem? He was asked to curse Israel, okay, hired out for that, and he didn't want to do it at first, did he? But eventually, we know the story, he, uh, he, he couldn't do it in exactly the way the king wanted him to do it, but he hired out, and, and it wasn't right. And so, that's another problem. What are these people that Jude is writing about what is the motive behind what they're doing? For the sake of their own gain. For the sake of their own gain. And so they have become like Balaam because they, wanna, they want to enrich or for whatever reason they want uh, to have some sort of gain, uh, whether it's prestige or whatever, uh, they want to have some sort of gain. And so he says, you're like Balaam. But then he mentions a third one, and perished in Korah's rebellion. Well, who was Korah? K-O-R-A-H. Who was Korah? Somebody who rebelled against Moses, according to what we read in the book of Numbers, chapter number 16. Okay, and what did Korah do? Anybody remember specifically the story? Korah had gathered him up, 250 of the, uh, of the people, and, and what did they do? They come to Moses and to Aaron, and they say, you know, you brought us out of it. Here, out of Egypt, we're out here. Basically, we were, we're hungry, and now you want to be the prince over us. Who made you the prince over us? Who made you the ruler over us? And we know the answer to that. Who, who made Moses the ruler over them? God did. But what did Moses need to do in order to convince Korah, Dathan, Abiram, the 200 men that uh, they had convinced as well as the Israelites, the rest of the Israelites. What did God need to do? Well, you go back there and you read the whole book of Numbers chapter number 16 and, and, and to make a long story short, uh, 
Moses basically says we're going to have a little challenge. And the one that God chooses, uh, he'll stand out. And, and uh, what was his challenge? Well, Moses said, well, if, if Korah dies like a normal man normally would do, if the course of his life, if he continues on and dies like a normal man, then we'll know that God chose him. But if he dies in such a way that had not been seen before, then we'd know that God chose Moses. So how did Korah and, uh, and Dathan and Abiram, those who were there, Dathan and Abiram rebelled so much, I don't know if when the last time you read the story, Moses called them and they wouldn't come out of their house. And so uh, Moses has to tell everybody, all right, get back away from their house. And they meet him, Korah, and they, they, they actually come outside their tents. and had to tell everybody, the Israelites, if you're not with them, you better get away from the house. And so how did God show that he chose Moses? Yep, and then not only did it sink, but what happened? It closed back up over, the, over them. And that's found in Numbers chapter 16, verses 28 through 35. Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that he has not been, uh, it's not been my own accord, he says in verse 35. And, and if you go on down, you keep reading. The ground under them split apart. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. And they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol. And the earth closed over them and they perished from the midst of the people. And it's interesting that uh, you keep reading there. Uh, you, you can see the chaos because what did they do? The people who were there and seeing it began to run because they were afraid that the earth was going to open up and swallow them as well. And so the point of it was they rebelled against God's chosen leader. They rebelled against God's chosen government, if you will. God's chosen way of doing things. What are these men doing? They speak blasphemy against the glorious ones. Remember we read that? Yeah, they're rebelling against the elders and God's way, God's government for His church. Oh yeah, we didn't, we didn't keep reading the story. It, it, it gets worse, but for sake of time, yeah, 14,000 more died uh, God caused a plague to come and Moses had to or rather Aaron had to go stand between uh, them and, uh, and as the plague spread Aaron went and stood between the ones that it hadn't affected yet after Moses had prayed for them so you know, there, there's a whole lot more that is there he caused a lot more damage than just him and his family and the, the immediate ones and that's the same thing Brother Philip that's happening here that's what Jude was trying to head off, keeping so many more from being affected by the work of these men. And so he says, woe to them. Let's go back, look at this Old Testament stuff again. They're acting just like these men from the Old Testament. All right? <clears throat> He's going to begin here in verse 12, and in verses 12 and 13. 
he's going to give us a number of metaphors that are that that he uses to describe these men and what they're doing. Okay? And so remember remember those metaphors. We'll we'll go ahead and start. We won't have time to finish it tonight, but uh, let's go ahead and read verses 12 and 13 together. He says, These are hidden reefs at your love feast, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead and uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam in their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. He goes everything from the stars to, uh, to to something down in the water, down in the in the sea. Okay, and so let's talk about the first one. That's about all the time we'll have tonight. But he says these are these are hidden reefs at your love feast. Does anybody have the King James open or the New King James? Either one. Okay. These are what? Spots. What's a, I mean, how do you get a reef and a spot? It's spots or hidden rocks in your Okay. All right. Yeah. Go real quick over to the book of 2 Peter 2, verse 13. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Whoever gets there, read it fast, because we're down to about a minute or so. Second Peter two verse thirteen. Suffer, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing, the count of pleasure to reveal in the daytime there are lots of blemishes revealed in their deception while they feast with you. All right, there are blots and blemishes reveling in deceptions. Okay. The reason I had us to read that, of course, is Second Peter is, is the parallel book, the twin sister book, if you will, of the book of Jude. Mentioned many of the same things, but but Jude has, or, or rather, Peter has blots. That's the word that we want to focus on: blots and blemishes. And then in the King James and the New King James, it has that they are spots. The spots are talking about the same thing here. And yet, when you turn to the American Standard, or the New American Standard, or the English Standard, uh, they have either reef or rock. Okay? The reason for that seems to be this. The word that is translated spot is spelled in the original language S-P-I-L-O-S. The word for reef, or rock, is spelled S-P-I-L-A. S. That's real close, isn't it? And so it seems that the translators of the King James thought they had the word spot because Second Peter had the word spot, when in reality it seems that the manuscripts say reef. They're a rock hidden under the water or a reef hidden under the water. What difference does that make? Why is a reef or a rock hidden under the water dangerous? Can't 
before you can before you really even know what's going on, the pilot of the ship can run over that reed reef or that rock and wreck the entire ship. But these people are like that. How did they get into the church that we've already talked about? It. They came in the sort of like came in the side door and they sat down. They eased in. They looked good. They sounded good. They're making everything, you know, sound like, hey, I'm one of you. And all is good when in reality they're working under the water, behind the scenes, trying to ease in all of this ungodliness that, they're, that they have in their own heart. And so they're hidden reeves. We'll talk next week about the love feast that are mentioned there. Uh, Bell has.